it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Shannon Bream. With the clock ticking down, Republicans are refusing to back down on major changes in border policy and a package tied to aid for Ukraine and Israel. As I said, if we believe something is important and urgent, we should stay and get the job done. The House heads home for the holidays, but the Senate sticks around to try and reach a deal on the president's supplemental spending request. Republicans dug in on border security as Customs and Border Protection officers are warned to look out for explosive devices. The president sending his Homeland Security secretary to the Hill. I think it's going to take the president himself telling his cabinet and telling his staff, get this done. We'll discuss the state of negotiations with Republican Senator John Cornyn of Texas and California Democratic Congressman Ro Khanna. Then Hunter Biden makes a brief appearance at the Capitol. For six years, I've been the target of the unrelenting Trump attack machine shouting, where's Hunter? Well, here's my answer. I am here. But skips out on his subpoena. We'll ask our legal panel what options Republicans are weighing as the president's son faces another indictment. And one month till the first vote. The polls came out just recently and were way, way, way up. The battle for Iowa up next will debut brand new Fox News polls and get reaction from our Sunday panel. Then, the long-running tradition that is this week's Sunday special. A wreath, you know, is just a, a bunch of balsam fur placed in a ring. It's a catalyst. There's a big meaning. All right now on Fox News Sunday. Hello from Fox News in Washington. After days of tough negotiations from senators on both sides of the aisle and the White House... There's no deal yet on border security and nationwide tough new poll numbers for the president on this issue, only adding to the pressure. Brand new Fox News polling shows 35 percent of Republicans named the border as the most important issue the country is facing, while just 5 percent of Democrats feel the same way. In a moment, we will speak with Republican Senator John Cornyn of Texas about the state of play in these negotiations. But first, we turn to Fox News correspondent Lucas Tomlinson with the very latest from the White House on a foggy day. Hello, Lucas. Hello, Shannon. Ukraine's president came here to the White House hoping to secure more funding. Many House Republicans want to see more of that aid tied to increased funding to secure the southern border. We want to see Ukraine win the war. With the war at a stalemate for more than a year and after a failed counteroffensive, House Speaker Mike Johnson wants to see a new plan. We need a clear articulation of the strategy to allow Ukraine to win. What's also not clear, White House-Israel policy. The president blasting Israel over what he called indiscriminate bombing, which he claims saps support for the Jewish state. I want them to be focused on how to save civilian lives. Not stop going after Hamas, but be more careful. 
Congress remains deadlocked over increased aid to Israel and Ukraine, unless more money is spent to secure the southern border. The House left for Christmas recess without a deal, while the Senate has remained in Washington as negotiations continue. The White House even sent Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas to meet with the negotiators from both parties in hopes of ironing out an agreement. You know, spending a few extra days before the holidays, it seems a pretty good investment if we can actually make progress. In one day earlier this month, there were more than 12,000 migrant encounters on the southern border, the highest in American history. Capital aides say they hope to have a deal reached on the southern border in the Senate as early as today. Shannon? All right, Lucas Tomlinson from the White House. Lucas, thank you. Joining us now from Austin, Texas, Republican Senator John Cornyn. Senator, good to see you today. Good to see you. All right, we've got brand new Fox News polls, and immigration is among what we polled. So let me show you this. Fox News polling shows that 79% of Americans, when you combine those top two uh, criteria there, think that the border is either an emergency or a major problem. So based on what you know about the negotiations so far, what can you tell Americans out there about the possibility, the likelihood there's actually a change in border policy? Well, I talked to a couple of key negotiators yesterday, and uh, they feel like they're making some progress. But I know Senator Schumer thinks there's going to be some deal cut behind closed doors and then jam it through the Senate and then jam the House. That's not going to happen. Um, but we are making some progress. But this isn't just about money. This is about policies that will actually stem the flow of mass migration across the border, along with the drugs and everything that goes with it. You know there's pressure on the White House from the left that they think that these are very extreme proposals, at least what they've heard floated so far. I want to play something from Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal, who says that this is going to take us back to a very difficult, dark time. Here's what she says. It is imperative that my Senate colleagues and the White House understand what is on the table are policies so extreme that if enacted, it would literally be the most exclusionary, restrictive immigration legislation since the racial quota laws of the 1920s, literally turning the clock back 100 years. Now, progressives have sent a letter to the White House saying that they object to things like near mandatory incarceration for anyone who shows up here seeking asylum. They say Republicans want to undermine a multiracial democracy. How do you explain what Republicans are asking for? Shannon, all we're asking for, for the president to do is to actually enforce the law. And uh, now that we've got the uh, purse strings of Congress that Congress controls, we're hoping to use that as leverage to change those policies. What we're asking for is humane, orderly, and legal immigration. Right now, the only people benefiting from the status quo are the uh, human smugglers, the criminal organizations that are getting richer by the day, along with the drug cartels. And for the last three years, President Biden has demonstrated that he simply didn't care. Well, apparently now he cares. We've got his attention and we intend to do something about it. OK, to that point, you know what the White House says, that on day one, when he became president, he offered up an immigration proposal and that you all have said no thank you to everything he has put on the table. Here's the White House press secretary speaking to that this week. They said no to border agents. They've said no to new technology to fight fentanyl. They said no to additional troops. And they voted on eliminating 2,000 customs and border patrol agents. That is what Republicans have done. Now, on top of that, one House Democrat said this week that you're actually trying to shut down legal immigration. Here's his take. What is so wrong 
is that we actually have Republican lawmakers trying to make legal immigration more difficult. And that is a gift, frankly, to folks like Mexican cartels who will actually benefit from these Republican policies. Okay, so you mentioned that this administration is benefiting the cartels. He says it's the GOP who's doing it. How do you respond? Well, you know, we finally seen, uh, according to the polls that you cited earlier, that the American people are not fooled by what uh, the propaganda coming out of the White House. And, uh, you know, including the Secretary of Homeland Security, who's repeatedly lied to Congress and the American people by saying the border is secure. It is not secure. And uh, we have a, a historic inflection point here in negotiations. Uh, for the last, uh, well, the years I've been in the Senate for quite a while now, all we've done is talk about it. But now we intend to use this leverage uh, to do something about it. Okay, so another poll I want to cite that came in this week, brand new out this morning, um, asking about the president's job approval on the border. And it is two to one people disapproving, thinking he is not doing well. So there are cynics out there who say Republicans don't actually want to help solve this issue, especially going into an election year because it is such a bad topic, a bad issue for the president. Is Washington that broken? I think that uh, those considerations are purely secondary. I live and work in Texas, and uh, obviously we've borne the brunt of the Biden open border policies for years now. And uh, the governor and uh, legislature have done everything they can using the tools they have to do something about it. But we want to stop the flow of humanity coming across the border, the drugs, the fact that 300,000 children have been placed with, uh, with sponsors in the United States and the Biden administration has lost track of them. This is a catastrophe. And it's as a result of the Biden open border policies. We're going to use this opportunity to change that. The president has failed to faithfully execute the laws as required of him by the Constitution. And we intend to use every tool in the toolbox to try to make him do his job. Um, you have said no reason to rush something that can't get passed in the House. So while they're working out what you will get to vote on in the Senate over the House, they want something much closer to H.R. 2, much tougher. Do you think there is something that you guys could agree to, Senate Democrats, the White House the House GOP that would actually get passed? Well, I know that Speaker Johnson is being briefed by some of our negotiators. Uh, and, uh, you know, what he can pass in the House is going to be, frankly, up to him. But we do need to be aware of the fact that this is not just an exercise in the Senate. It's not just the Senate and the president agreeing to something. It's something that can actually pass the House and be signed into law. So this is a very delicate and difficult negotiation. Uh, but we're not going to let this opportunity pass without doing everything we can to secure the border. Okay, something that did get done this week was the National Defense Authorization Act. And part of that, though, included uh, an extension of Section 702 of the Foreign Service Surveillance Intelligence, Foreign Inf Intelligence Surveillance Act, FISA. Uh, and it essentially, it's meant to track people that are foreign threats, foreign citizens. And yet, um, your colleague Mike Lee is among those who say it is involving American citizens and violating their Fourth Amendment rights. He says this in an op-ed. The FBI has used Section 702 to conduct warrantless backdoor searches of the private electronic communications of American citizens. It has done so not just sporadically and by accident, but quite deliberately and on hundreds of thousands of occasions. Now, like Senator Lee, you're a distinguished attorney. You are a Texas Supreme Court justice. You served as the attorney general. If this is, as he alleges, actually happening blatantly unconstitutional, why not 
say it is time to rein in 702. It is time for major reforms when these are American citizens' rights who are being impacted. Well, I agree with Senator Lee that there have been, been abuses, and I'm certainly willing to enact reforms that will make those much less likely. Director Ray has changed the policies at the FBI. Compliance is up to roughly 98 percent. It's not good enough until it's 100 percent. But we cannot intentionally blind ourselves to the threats from foreign adversaries. Uh, this is, as you said, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. This is the, these are the crown jewels necessary to protect our country against uh, unprecedented threats from all over the world. And so I hope uh, we will fix it um, and not nix it. Uh, and I expect that will happen in the coming months. Okay, while I've got your legal hat on, let me ask you about impeachment. You've said you support the inquiry. The House has now officially decided and voted to launch that. Um, but here's what the Democrat over in the House who led the impeachment against President Trump said this week. Jamie Raskin. There are thousands and thousands of pages of evidence, but all of the evidence demonstrates uh, beyond any reasonable doubt that uh, President Joe Biden is not guilty of any uh, impeachable offense that we can determine. He says there's no smoking gun. You know, even if the House sends this to you, it goes nowhere in the Senate. So do you worry that this is going to look political and be used against your party in 2024? Well, Democrats have, uh, have introduced impeachment into our politics uh, by trying to impeach the former president, President Trump, two different times unsuccessfully. Uh, the basic reason why I support the inquiry is because this investigation needs to continue. It seems like we're peeling back layers of an onion and the investigation is revealing new and, uh, and very serious uh, evidence uh, along the way. So, um, this also will enhance the ability of the, uh, of, the, of the House to enforce those subpoenas in court and something that the Biden administration has been resisting along the way. So I think it's a little premature for our Democratic friends to be uh, declaring victory while the investigation is ongoing. It's one of many things we'll be tracking into the new year. Senator Cornyn, we appreciate your time. If we don't see you before then, Merry Christmas, sir. Merry Christmas to you. Up next. If the Senate gets to a deal, as we said, they're going to be very rough waters ahead in the House. We're going to bring in Democratic Congressman Ro Khanna to discuss what it will take to get on the same page with House Republicans, if that's possible, next. And President Biden's past comments coming back to haunt him after his son, Hunter, brazenly defied a congressional subpoena. Our legal panel weighs in on the chances Hunter could wind up facing jail time. Fox News Sunday is brought to you by Pacific Life. Over 150 years of strength and stability. Imagine your future with confidence. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. The White House on attack this week against House Republicans saying they would rather go on vacation than address national security issues. Despite the administration's calls to delay its recess, the House is now on its holiday break as issues surrounding the southern border, aid for Ukraine, Israel and elsewhere remain in limbo. Joining me now, California Democratic Congressman Ro Khanna. Congressman, welcome back to Fox News Sunday. 
Thank you for having me back. Okay, so why did the White House, the president himself, wait so long to get involved here? Has it been wasted time? Well, John, let me start out where I agree with Senator Cornyn, and that is that no backroom deal on the border without the involvement of the House, the House Hispanic Caucus, Latino senators is going to pass. And it's not going to pass in the House, both because of Democrats and conservatives. The House has to be at the negotiating table. We want a safe border. We want an orderly and humane process. But uh, I agree with Senator Cornyn that the negotiation hasn't involved the relevant people. Well, and what do you make of that? Because we've had a number of members come forward of uh, Latino congressmen and women and senators to say, how are we not part of this discussion? How are we not at the table? I don't understand it. I mean, I think there's this view sometimes because a lot of senators become president that you could just have the White House and the Senate uh, come up with a deal and somehow jam the House. But the House is still the people's house. And uh, we're going to have our say. We need to be involved. You have to at least have uh, someone like Nanette Berrigan, the chair of the Mm -hmm. Hispanic Caucus, at the table. You need to have some of the Latino senators at the table. Now, look, we need a secure border. Uh, We need uh, more funding for immigration agents, for the border patrol, and we can have a conversation. But they're not even at the table. Okay, let's talk about this, because Vox is among those that thinks a deal is going to come together. There is a lot of um, skepticism, I think, that the Senate's going to get this done in the next few days. But they think a deal is likely for a number of reasons. First, the horrible poll numbers across our polls and every other poll out there on how the president is handling the border, but also because he's facing pressure on so many different sides. They write this, more and more Democrats have grown uncomfortable with the border and asylum situation in the Biden years which have featured a dramatic surge in border crossings and asylum requests. On top of that, we have members within the Biden administration who are warning about the growing number of people on terror watch lists that are showing up at the border, the growing threat of people coming across and being motivated to use the open border for a terror attack. This week, you know, warning to border agents that there were IEDs found along the border. Um, With all of that and these increasing numbers, um, do you agree that the border is out of control at this point? Are you one of these Democrats, as Vox says, who's become uncomfortable about what's going on there? I agree that we need a solution to the border and that we need to do more to secure the border. What I would do is something that the House Democrats have done, which is pass more funding for Border Patrol agents, pass more funding for immigration judges, uh, and have a conversation about how we secure the border. But what we can't do is just have certain ideas, in my view, like getting rid of parole, which allowed us to have Ukrainian refugees here, Afghan refugees here that fought with us in Afghanistan, just doing away with it. Uh, That, I don't think, actually makes the border more secure because it'll just have more people come to the border. So we need a rational solution, and we certainly need House members involved in the conversation. Well, okay, House members getting involved. Um, they want, the House GOP wants something much closer to H.R. 2, as we talked about with Senator Cornyn. It is much tougher than what we've heard being floated over in the Senate. One of the things it would include uh, is a measure that would require employers to use some kind of system to verify the legal status of people that they employ. One of our brand new Fox News polls out this morning shows that 64% of people support punishing employers who hire people who are here in the U.S. illegally. When you break it down by party, it's a majority of Democrats and Republicans who believe that employers should have to face some penalties. Um, Would you support a measure like that, verification? I would support holding employers accountable. The problem with verification is it all often ends up punishing people uh, who are undocumented and, and the families and not the employers. If we're holding the employers accountable for breaking the law and underpaying folks, 
I am for that. Uh, I also think that it has to be part of a border agreement that does something for the DACA uh, folks and does has some path to citizenship. And this is why we need to have a conversation with all parties uh, on board. But I just want to be clear right now in the House, you're both going to have conservatives and Democrats vote against something that just is going to come from the Senate. So uh, I'm not sure what they're trying to achieve. And why not just have a clean bill on the Ukraine aid and the other aid? I mean, we we would be able to pass that through the House. Well, let's talk about that, because one of the biggest Ukraine hawks, Senator Lindsey Graham, a Republican who wants to make sure there's no break in funding a military aid or other aid, um, he sounds very skeptical that something's going to come together on the border that would convince him to vote for that Ukraine aid. Here's what he said this week. I look forward to voting no to a bad deal next week. I hope they bring up an immigration proposal that doesn't do the job to see if I'll vote no, I will gladly vote no to a bad deal next week. I am not going to be pressed to do something that doesn't make sense. So listen, he uh, is one of the loudest voices for getting more aid to Ukraine. How worried are you hearing that from him? I'm concerned and I, I agree that we should just separate the issues. I mean, why are we trying to rush comprehensive immigration reform that we haven't been able to do for 20 to 30 years in a few weeks right before the Christmas holidays and link it to aid to to Ukraine. I mean, the whole Republican caucus, one of the reasons they got rid of Speaker McCarthy is they said have single issue votes. Don't tie things that are unconnected. Let's have a clean up or down vote on aid to Ukraine. If people are philosophically opposed, give them the right to oppose. I believe you'd have 300 House members who vote for it. And that's really, in my view, what we need. Would you also separate a standalone issue for Israeli aid, or do you think that should be tied to Ukraine uh, as well? I, I think that's fine to have uh, Ukraine, Israel, Taiwan uh, as a supplemental aid. I mean, we, we could do it separately, but that at least is all dealing with national security, foreign policy issues, and let people vote their conscience. But to tie foreign policy issues and the president's uh, requests on foreign policy to a border policy and then not to involve the chair of the Hispanic caucus, not to involve any Latino senators, not to involve any House members, and to just assume that the Senate is going to cut some deal and the House is just going to ratify it, is to forget Article 1 of the Constitution and the role of the, the House of Representatives. Okay, I want to talk to you about something the House did do this week, which was vote to move forward on an in, uh, impeachment inquiry. We have some polling out this morning on this issue. When it comes to whether the president was involved in Hunter's business or did something uh, related to it, 38% told us they think he did something illegal. This is the president. 27% say something unethical. So that's 65% of Americans who think something shady went on there with regard to the president and Hunter's business. And now we have a flip on impeachment. There are now more Americans who tell us they believe it's a legitimate inquiry than a bogus inquiry. That has flipped since we last polled this in September. Do you have any curiosity about the changing story from the White House, the testimony from the IRS whistleblowers, anything that has come forward so far? Do you feel like you need answers I don't think the president did anything wrong as president of the United States. Look, when you impeach someone, it's because they took conduct as president that was violated the law. And there's not a shred of evidence of that. This whole thing with Hunter Biden was litigated extensively for five years in the 2020 campaign. And if people want to litigate the president's past life and the details of finances and Hunter Biden's finances in 2024, Fine. Litigated in a, as an election issue. I spoke out against the censorship of the story in the New York Post. But don't take up the time of the Congress when the president hasn't done anything wrong as president of the United States.
Well, that is where the two parties have quite a difference of opinion. Again, we'll follow that into the new year as that impeachment inquiry is now official and moving forward. Congressman uh, Khanna, thank you very much always for your time. Great to see you today. Thank you, Shannon. Merry Christmas and happy holidays to your viewers. And to you as well. Thank you, sir. So the Supreme Court agrees to hear a case over access to an abortion pill. That puts a decision due right in the middle of an election year. We're going to bring in our legal panel to lay out the stakes and get their takes on breaking legal news for President Trump and Hunter Biden. My health was good. until five congressional subpoenas on the January 6th committee. I hope that the committee goes after them and uh, holds them accountable. Do they be prosecuted by the I, I do, Department? yes. President Biden in 2021 saying people who defied the January 6th committee subpoenas should be held criminally accountable. That newly resurfaced video clip making the rounds this week after the president's son defied his own congressional subpoena, refusing to sit for House deposition. Time now for our legal panel. George Washington University law professor Jonathan Turley. Tom Dupree, former principal, deputy assistant attorney general, and Constitutional Accountability Center president, Elizabeth Weidra. Good to see all of you. Thank you. Great to be here. Okay, gosh, we have a lot to try to get through. But let's start here. Do you think that Hunter will actually be held in contempt by the House? I think he should be. He's in flagrant contempt. This was a valid subpoena. And he went to the Capitol to essentially blow a raspberry at the House. He did it from the Senate side, so the, mm -hmm. the sergeant of arms couldn't pull him in. Uh, but there was no question about it. The, the arguments being made that somehow this was not valid because there was a vote later on impeachment is nonsense. I mean, this was an oversight committee. It was issued under two committees and three different grounds for jurisdiction. The really, to me, the, the question is not whether he could be charged with contempt. The answer is most certainly yes. The question is, what do you do with Eric Swalwell? You've got a congressman who arrived with him, facilitated what may be a federal crime, and to defy his own house on a valid subpoena. Well, and if there is a contempt charge for either or both of them, then the question becomes whether the DOJ will actually prosecute it. New York Post editorial board says this is a serious hot potato for Attorney General Merrick Garland. He can shield Hunter and thus his dad from the consequences of defying the law, but only at the cost of exposing himself as utterly partisan. Given the Steve Bannon case, the Peter Navarro case, what does DOJ do? My guess is that the DOJ, under the control of President Biden and the Biden administration, would not prosecute Hunter Biden for contempt. Should they? Yes. Is there a double standard? Yes. But I think at the end of the day, I would be pleasantly surprised if Merrick Garland got a contempt referral from the United States Congress and said, we are going to prosecute Hunter Biden for contempt. But look, I totally agree. It's going to put the Justice Department in a very tight box because we are going to be able to point to all sorts of examples where they have prosecuted these contempt citations. They take them seriously. They enforce the law. But in Hunter Biden's case, they're going to make an exception. Okay. I noted this with Congressman Khan. I want to bring this poll up again. Um, a view on congressional Republicans pushing impeachment proceedings. Those numbers have now flipped, Elizabeth, to um, more people believe it's legitimate than bogus at this point. They've seen enough. They say at least they have questions. The inquiry should proceed. Yeah, you know, impeachment is an incredibly powerful tool in our Constitution, and it should be wielded with care and responsibly. I think that we've seen months and months and months of efforts by House Republicans to try to come up with something that they could tell the American people that would connect the president to his son's dealings, um, whatever you may think of them. And there hasn't been a shred of direct evidence about President Biden presented to the American people. So I think that far from this being a carefully wielded, responsibly wielded impeachment inquiry, 
it seems to be careless and irresponsible, you know, particularly when there is so much more business that is pressing to the American people. But I just wanted to step back for a minute and talk about the contempt um, charge, because I, I fully believe that Merrick Garland will follow the facts of the law where they lead. That is, has been his hallmark. There has been accountability for Hunter Biden in some um, criminal prosecutions. He has not stopped that. Um, and I don't believe he ever would stop that. That's not the kind of person Merrick Garland is. So do, I'll take a little vote here then. Who, show of hands, thinks the DOJ would actually criminally pursue Hunter Biden if he's held in contempt. Tom, I'm put you down for a no. I actually think that they would have no okay, choice. Okay, maybe you think they I would. I think it depends on the facts. Because look, there is also, like, Abby Lowell, Hunter Biden's lawyer, is saying, look, House Oversight Committee Chairman um, Comer said you could choose whether to do a public testimony or private testimony. We choose public. Then you changed your mind. So I think there are more facts here. But I think Merrick Garland would follow the facts in the law where they lead. Okay. Um, let me play something from Ian Sams over the White House. He tends to agree with you on this whole thing. Here's what he said. These guys have uh, made up and moved the goalposts every step of the way of this investigation. It's all baseless. They've been investigating the president all year long. For example, they've gotten 100,000 pages of documents. They've interviewed witnesses for 40 hours. And guess what? They've come up with not a single shred of evidence of any wrongdoing of any kind by President Biden. What do you say, Jonathan? Because, listen, folks will say there's no smoking gun, as Elizabeth said. But it's simply not true. I mean, the... There's been an enormous amount of evidence put together by the House committees, millions of dollars that have gone uh, through a labyrinth of different accounts and shell companies to Biden family members. There are Biden associates who said that what the president has said publicly is nonsense, that he did know about this influence peddling. And most people agree that this is influence peddling. This is corruption. But I have to correct one notion that is being bantered about. And that is that you have to really show that money went directly to the president. That's not the standard. That in federal cases involving bribery and other uh, crimes, giving money to a principal's family members is in fact a benefit under federal law. Otherwise, everyone would just give money to family members and say it's not a bribe, it's not impeachable. And by the way, it is impeachable. I was lead counsel in the last judicial impeachment trial. My client was impeached because benefits were given to a judge's family members. So many of these congressmen repeating this argument voted on that impeachment and said it is impeachable. Okay, I want to try to get to a, a quick lightning round, if we can, on the Supreme Court. So they've agreed to at least have a conversation about whether to expedite this case. The President Trump is claiming immunity. Um, he's got to, His team's got to file something this week. How quickly could we hear from the Supreme Court? I think we're going to hear very quickly from the Supreme Court. Look, it is extraordinary the time schedule that is being proposed. But as all sides have acknowledged, this is an absolutely extraordinary case. What the Supreme Court has said is that they take this request seriously. They're going to give it due consideration. And if they agree to review it, I would expect they would wrap this up in about a month or or two, mm -hmm. which is absolute lightning speed by Supreme Court standards. But look, everyone understands what's at stake here. It's a hugely important legal question. In all likelihood, it will be decided at some point by the Supreme Court. So I think the question on the table now is, are they going to decide it before a trial occurs or after? Right, because what uh, Special Counsel Jack Smith is trying to do is start a March trial on these charges. So, Elizabeth, what do you think are the odds that whether it's the appellate court or the Supreme Court actually derails that March start date because the Trump team, I'm sure, would love to see this happen after the election, not before. Right. I mean, I think the March trial date, given these appellate processes, are, you know, that's, that's a little bit precarious. But I do think that if there is delay, it probably won't be very long because Tom's exactly right that the Supreme Court is taking this seriously. They said, let's get, take these questions of immunity off the table, decide them at this early juncture, 
And frankly, the D.C. Circuit could move even while the Supreme Court is considering this expedited petition for certiorari before judgment. There's also this issue of the obstruction charge that a couple of other January 6th defendants, the Supreme Court's agreed to hear whether those charges, those federal charges should have been used against them. But they're part of the Trump case as well. How does that factor in? Well, two of the four counts against Trump with the special counsel in D.C. involve obstruction claims. If the court changes the interpretation of those provisions, it could have a major blowback on that trial. It could literally cut those counts in half. Uh, but the problem for the special counsel is his sense of urgency that we need to try Trump before the election. And they sort of shoehorned this March day just into the schedule, just before Super Tuesday. It's not clear to me the Supreme Court is going to share that sense of urgency. Mm -hmm. Because if, if Trump is convicted, it doesn't mean he won't be in, eligible for the presidency. He could still take office. So the Supreme Court may be looking at this and saying, maybe we should wait for the D.C. Circuit and regular order to play out. And quickly, Elizabeth, because I know you've been interested in this case, the Supreme Court has also agreed to hear a case on a use of an abortion, abortion medication, Mifepristone. Um, that's going to be on the schedule in the, in the spring as well, probably a decision in June right in the middle of the election. Absolutely, right in the middle of presidential and congressional campaigns. You know, this case is not just about the liberty and freedom of American individuals because it has to do with um, a particular regulated FD, mm -hmm. FDA regulated drug, Mifepristone. It also has to do with the pharmaceutical industry and the availability of drugs generally to Americans. So this is a very key case on a number of issues before the court. Yeah, and throws abortion right back into the middle of the 2024 conversation. <laughs> okay, Legal Eagles, thank you very much. Great to see all of you. Yeah. All right, up next, can anyone in the GOP primary field catch President Trump? We've got brand new polls to unveil for you just a minutes away. We're going to bring in our Sunday panel on the state of the 2024 race and more. One. The winter play was. We're a month away now from the Iowa caucuses, and as voters get ready to actually begin casting ballots, we've got brand new poll numbers about what they're thinking. Mark Meredith is live in Hampton Falls, New Hampshire, where the key state is preparing to hold its first in the nation primary next month. Hey, Mark. Shannon, hello to you. It is essentially crunch time for these Republican presidential candidates. Former President Trump, he was here in New Hampshire on Saturday, and he offered scathing criticism for his Republican rivals who are trying to unseat him as the party's standard bearer. Next month, New Hampshire is going to weed out the insincere rhinos. Former President Trump told voters in New Hampshire his victory in January's primary is all but guaranteed. This will be... A historic victory by Christmas of next year. New Fox News polling shows Trump has a reason to celebrate. Among Republican voters, Trump remains the most popular of all the GOP presidential candidates, some of whom are seeing support drop. About as rock solid of an endorsement as we could hope for. Trump's lead comes as notable Republicans, including New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu, urge voters to look beyond Trump. Sununu supports Nikki Haley. We're 110% behind Nikki. I think she's going to be the nominee. I think New Hampshire is going to be the reset point. Fox's new polling shows Haley beating President Biden by six points in a hypothetical matchup. Haley travels to Iowa tonight to shore up support. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is already there, telling crowds despite multiple campaign shakeups, he believes his heavy focus on Iowa will pay off. I don't think pundits decide these things. And so I think you guys should be... Um, determined to make your voice heard. Uh, don't let the media pick the candidate. Vivek Ramaswamy remains just as busy out on the campaign trail. He's barnstorming Iowa, holding multiple events this week. And here in New Hampshire, Chris Christie still betting big on the Granite State. His, his pack 
now launching its first TV ads of this cycle. Shannon. All right, Mark Meredith reporting from New Hampshire. Thank you very much, Mark. Time now for our Sunday group, USA Today White House correspondent Francesca Chambers, Mark Short, former chief of staff for Vice President Mike Pence, Charlie Hurt from The Washington Times, and Elizabeth Wydra doing double duty for us today from the Constitutional Accountability Center, where she is the president. Welcome back. It's good to see all of you. Um, let's start here, though, because what is happening with President Trump out on the campaign trail last night? He's getting a lot of headlines over this. You know, when they let, I think, the real numbers, 15, 16 million people into our country, when they do that, we got a lot of work to do. They're poisoning the blood of our country. That's what they've done. All right. Critics are pointing to that, saying he used that language also in an uh, interview with the National Pulse. And they point to um, Mein Kampf from Hitler, saying this. All great cultures of the past perished only because the originally creative race died out from blood poisoning. Charlie, he has to know that people are going to be fired up about that language. Yeah, he, well, he always likes uh, using language that gets people fired up. Yes, so he does. That's kind of not surprising. But I think it's kind of funny to listen to Ron DeSantis say, you know, don't let the media uh, pick the, the next president. Uh, I don't think the media is picking the next president on this one. Uh, but he is tapping into an issue that is obviously very, very important uh, to voters, uh, both Democrats and Republicans, that uh, a lot of people around here, and in particular the media, uh, have pretended is not a problem, and that is illegal Im immigration. Well, he's also handing material to the Biden-Harris campaign, who had this statement last night in part. Saturday night, Donald Trump channeled his role models as he parroted Adolf Hitler, praised Kim Jong-un, and quoted Vladimir Putin while running for president on a promise to rule as a dictator and threaten American democracy. They went on to say he's betting he can win this election by scaring and dividing this country, Francesca. <laughs> Giving them lots of tape there. They also have commented on the dictator on day one comments mm -hmm. that he made in that town hall with Sean Hannity. And this is a way that they have determined that they can focus on Donald Trump in the election without talking about his legal woes, which gets into dicey territory for them because they say that, of course, they are independent from the Department of Justice, so they don't want to weigh into his legal battles. But when he makes comments like that on policy, then that gives them something that President Joe Biden can then go out there and, and campaign on aggressively. Mark, unforced error? Or no. on purpose? Look, I, I think it's highly unlikely that Donald Trump's ever read Heimann Kampf. I think the reality is what we have is that the left continues to attack him for something outrageous, he says, but it continues to drive the issue back to border security, which is what he wants to be talking about. He has a decisive lead on border security over Joe Biden, just like he does on the economy, just like he does on international affairs. And so, yeah, he says something outlandish. They attack what he said rhetorically. But if you come back to the root of the issue, it's where a lot of the American people agree with him on. I want to skip ahead because we've got a lot of polls here today, but I want to look at the one that has GOP candidates head-to-head with President Biden. And when you put Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley, they all tie or beat President Biden. Given what has gone on, what we're just talking about, Elizabeth, does that surprise you? Are you disappointed that there's not better polling? You know, I think that where we are right now, the polls can change. You know, obviously, I think if you look at what's important to people, um, you know, the economy, obviously, we've seen in state after state that when abortion is on the ballot, that Democrats win or people who support abortion rights who tend to be Democrats win, although Nikki Haley's trying to thread the needle a little bit there. And so I think once we get to the actual election and you have, you know, we talked about just a little bit ago, the abortion case at the Supreme Court likely being decided in late June 2024, right in the middle of these mm -hmm. presidential campaigns, that that is going to change a lot of people's minds, particularly women who have seen Instances like in Texas where a woman that, you know, a lot of people see themselves in, a mother 
who desperately wanted this child, but something tragic happened. She wants to preserve her ability to have future children. When people see people like that having to go into court and beg to make the decision that they and their families and their doctors made, and then having that rebuffed by elected leaders, that gets a lot of people scared appropriately and voting for people who will make sure that they have freedom and liberty and choice and not go the other direction. So I, I, I don't put too much stock in the polls right now. And also, look, there are ways to talk about immigration. There are ways to talk about policy choices that don't use that chilling, offensive language that should be offensive in our American democracy, which is a multiracial, diverse democracy. Well, interestingly enough, in the midst of this campaign and the two choices, it looks like, absent something changing, that it are going to end up on the ballot in the fall. When asked about favorables uh, head to head, President Biden and President Trump President Trump now has a four-point advantage on favorables over President Biden. And when it comes to unfavorable, uh, President Biden is now three points higher than President Trump. Charlie, does any of that surprise you? Um, Not really. And and by the way, I sort of agree that I I think all the polls are sort of kind of hard to suss out at this point. Um, uh, But uh, I do think that, uh, you know, when you boil down and look at the issues like the economy, you look at the issues like foreign policy, you look at the issue like border security, um, all of them, with the possible exception of uh, the issue of abortion, um, Trump has a, a, and Republicans have a very strong hand all over Biden on, and that's a pretty good that's a pretty good situation to be going into the into into the year of an election on, uh, I, because especially because I, I I don't know what variables change in Joe Biden's direction between now and the election. I mean, if the the economy, they feel like they're green shoots, there's improvement there, the numbers there. And Francesca, that's something they talk about quite a bit, that they hope that there will be a turnaround in time for November of 2024. But you've also got, there's so many other polls that are troublesome for him this week. Um, Pew has his job approval rating at 33%. The Hill reports on another pullout that has seven swing states that President Mm -hmm. Trump is beating President Biden in all of those swing states. Um, And there's more public chatter from Democrats who are worried about this. And when you look at the talks that are going on with the border on Capitol Hill right now, you know, previously the White House had said that this was a closed discussion. This is the aid package that he had put forward. Mm-hmm. They were not going to be negotiating border policy. Now you see the president saying that he is open to this. That's exactly what the conversations are. And part of it, you could say, is because of the polling. Part of it here, of course, because they want to get that Ukraine aid. They want to get that Israel aid. And they know that's the only way to get it done. But it doesn't change the fact that they said that they wouldn't do it. And here's where they are. Well, and you've got David Axelrod out there again, publicly talking about his concerns. He says he's alarmed by numbers regarding voters' perceptions of Biden's and Trump's policies when president. 23% of voters said Biden's policies have helped them. 49% said that about Trump's policies. 53% said Biden's policies have hurt them personally. And 37% said the same about Trump. That's a tough batch of numbers to run for re-election against. I would think that most Democrats are in the same place as David Axelrod. I think the reality is the polling is very uh, troublesome for Democrats, and they've got to be scared at this point. I think uh, when you go down the top issues of concern for most Americans from the border to the economy to having war in Eastern Europe, war in the Middle East, and I think the reality is that Donald Trump certainly appears far more vigorous than Joe Biden at this point, I think Democrats should be pretty frightened. Is there any chance they change out the Biden-Harris ticket? Elizabeth? <laughs> you know, it, I don't think so. Um, everyone has said that President Biden is the nominee. Um, you know, look, things can always change. But I, I think that, you know, as we go forward in the process and if 
Donald Trump is the nominee. I think we're going to see many echoes of the 2020 election where people see that um, that rhetoric, see the potential policies. You know, the dictator on day one is an extremely concerning statement. I would note something keeps coming spectrum. up. He was sort of chuckling when he said that no one wants to hear dictator, but it seemed very tongue in cheek. Yeah, like, you know, is that funny? I don't think so. Like, you know, it's not really what you want to hear from your president, um, potential president. But I think that people are going to take things very differently as the election approaches and we see which candidates are coming up to each other. It does get all the right people upset, though, when he says things. Charlie likes when the right people get upset. (laughs) He likes to get them upset on this show, too. All right, panel, (laughs) thank you very much. Uh, We'll see you next Sunday. Up next, honoring America's veterans. Hear from the man behind one of the most treasured Christmas traditions in our country. I brought in Ensure Max Protein. We are back with a look at the thousands of wreaths laid at each grave site at Arlington National Cemetery. It's a holiday tradition here at Fox News Sunday to share the story of how one man from Maine came up with this idea to honor our fallen with some humble greenery. Here again is the story behind wreaths across America. It's our Sunday special. We wouldn't have what we have today if it wasn't for them. They stepped up for us time and time again, all down through the history of the country. Moral Worcester on how his reverence for service members inspired a beloved American holiday tradition. He's the founder of Wreaths Across America, the nonprofit that organizes volunteers to lay Christmas wreaths at Arlington National Cemetery and at cemeteries across the U.S. Do you think you'll ever be able to get your mind around the impact of what this has turned into and what it means to thousands of people? Probably not, no. It, uh, but I, it, whether it's 100 people or 100,000 people, it means the same, the, the families. It started with a childhood trip to Washington in 1962 when Worcester was moved by the graceful rows of iconic white headstones. When I was here as a 12-year-old, I just never forgot it. I couldn't believe how big it was. Three decades later, in 1992, Worcester was in charge of a wreath company and found himself with extras around the holidays. When I had those wreaths left over years ago, I uh, said, you know, if I can make it happen, I'm going to bring them here. The wreaths were just made, and it was too bad to waste them, and I thought it would be great to have them on the graves. He asked if he could donate them to the cemetery. Dozens of volunteers helped him drive down and lay each one on the headstones. Fox News Sunday first met Worcester back in 2006. They're not just tombstones. I mean, those are all people. By that time, a photo of his quiet annual tribute had gone viral. There was snow on the wreaths, and it it was just a great shot. And that hit a chord with just millions and millions of people around the world. And it changed everything. I mean, you wouldn't believe the number of emails that we got and phone calls. People were touched and thousands began volunteering to place wreaths at Arlington and in cemeteries in their hometowns. Fox News Sunday joined Worcester back then to see the wreaths arrive after a 750-mile trip. Worcester calls it the world's longest veterans parade. The ceremony you are about to witness is an Army wreath-laying ceremony to be conducted for the Worcester Wreath Company. Did you ever imagine when you showed up that first year with 5,000 wreaths that it would turn into what it is now? Never, no, because it was going to be a one-time thing. What does it mean to you, to people who volunteer, who work all year long to get this ready? It's come over time. I mean, you know, it's, it's something that just didn't happen one year, and it's, it's a evolving 
into learning more and more about uh, people and what it means to them and about the families. Worcester says after more than three decades, he still feels the reverence in each wreath. It feels like you're giving multiple gifts to those who are honored here in Arlington, but those who also get to take these wreaths and feel like they're giving an honor as well. It does. A wreath, you know, is just a, a bunch of balsam fur placed in a ring. It's a catalyst. There's a big meaning, really. So what's the future? The future of this, honestly, is to remember and honor every single veteran. Mm -hmm. What does it mean to you when you walk in here and look around? It's all in a lifetime. It really is. I've had the opportunity to do this, and the good Lord runs everything. He runs all of us, and he's in charge of all of it. Mr. Worcester says he believes this whole thing has been a divine assignment. The tradition has continued every year since 1992. This year, volunteers placed more than 3 million wreaths on veterans' graves at more than 4,100 locations. And that includes the more than 250,000 wreaths right here at Arlington National Cemetery. That's it for us today. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Shannon Bream. Have a fantastic week. We'll see you right back here for next Fox News Sunday. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to Fox News Sunday ad-free on Amazon Music with your Prime membership or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.